0: All right, good morning, church. We wake 1045 by now. Good morning. It is now 09. Be awake. Uh, glad that you're uh, here and worshiping with us. As you know by now, it's Palm Sunday, but I want you to know uh, more than anything else that today marks the most prolific stretch of time in human history for the most prolific events surrounding one person in human history, this important week who lived over 2,000 years ago. Christians all over the world approach this week uh, in the same way for the incredible love of God that he had for those seven days as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We uh, approach it with reverence. We approach it with awe. And we approach it with understanding. Uh, I I have an interesting uh, statistic. How many of you guys like to read? Raise your hand if you enjoy reading. Not just like you have books at home, but you actually do enjoy it. Um, This is a a sobering statistic in regards to just general reading, but I think it applies to scripture as well. It says 33, this is a recent statistic, 33% of high school graduates never read another book the rest of their lives. Not that they don't read, they just don't read a whole book. Some of you right now are like, oh, dang, that's getting way too close to home. All right? I don't mean to poke at you. I'm just talking about the statistic. 42% of college graduates never read another book after college. 42%. 57% of new books are not read to completion. 70% of U.S. adults have not been in a bookstore in the last five years. Now, certainly the advent of Amazon and some of the other online books, et cetera, uh, affect that. But if you take those statistics and apply them to Christianity, to church, to really understanding this book that is the Bible that has uh, the most truth ever known to man, uh, we don't read very often. And often we approach Easter because we haven't spent time reading. We haven't spent time reading the story. We haven't spent time really understanding what's going on and why it's happening. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to use this book and encourage you to do the same, to really unpack, to wrap our minds, our hearts, our understanding around this week that we in the church call Holy Week. It starts with this uh, reference to today, which is either called Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry. That's that's what it's often referred to—the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, going into this town. And it's such an important part of Jesus's story that it's recorded in depth in all four of the New Testament Gospels. So I want to invite you—if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. I love to hear the pages wrestling, or you can turn your Bibles on, whichever you choose, to John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, is the fourth gospel, and we're looking at John chapter 12. Most of the verses will be on screen, not all of them, but will primarily be in verses 12-12 through 19. As we read along throughout this passage, I'll be giving some commentary uh, throughout it so that we can really understand what's going on uh, during this week. So let's begin starting in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Let's pause right there. We're not going to pause every single sentence, but several sentences we're going to pause. This is the festival or or the feast. If you remember from last week, we talked about this feast that is the Passover meal. Hundreds of thousands of Jews traveling from all over the region to celebrate this week-long festival to commemorate the Jews, Israel, being delivered out of bondage, out of their slavery, out of those things that held them down. And they go uh, into Jerusalem to take part in this festival. It's a really fun time. At times, it's really sobering. But uh, experts will tell you it's actually a really fun time as well because the whole community is coming together and they eat, which is always a good thing. And so they get together. But this Passover, this Passover is different. People come every year to be a part of this, this huge party, this huge festival, for some in it just for the community aspect, the party of it, others in it for the religious aspect of it, but they all come together, but everyone realizes this one is different. It's electric, and it's electric because Jesus is there, the stories, the teachings, the miracles all make this Passover just a little bit different. In fact, a few days earlier, Jesus raises a documented dead man from the grave. Now, this is just, this isn't just someone who was in a coma. It wasn't someone who was unconscious. It wasn't someone who was gravely. This is a fully documented deceased individual that Jesus raises from the dead. And that Jesus is here at Passover. And that creates a buzz, if you would, throughout the region. But what's interesting to note is that most of these Jews who were excited about Passover were excited like they were seeing a rock star. Like they were seeing their favorite band or their favorite movie star or their favorite athlete or their favorite president was walking in the room and there was a buzz, there was excitement, there was awe because of who was there. What's interesting to note is this buzz was for the most part relegated to a political national frenzy. Not a religious majestic worship. They believed that Jesus was about to take back the rightful throne that was theirs as a people group and that the Messiah was not only going to reign once again, but that this Messiah would reign, take the rightful throne, deliver them, and that the hated Romans would get the boot and that they would take over. And So now let's continue to verse 13. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is why we call today Palm Sunday. It might be called different if they went out with pine trees Pine branches, we call it Pine Sunday. They went out and got palm branches and they threw them to the ground and they waved them, so we call it Palm Sunday. Palm branches, nearly over 2,000 years ago, was a nationalistic symbol. I I really want you to think outside of what your normal category of Palm Sunday is because I want to expose you. To the truth, if we read the scriptures of what Palm Sunday, what the undertone actually was. Palm branches was a nationalistic symbol, not a church symbol. By raising their palm branches and waving them in the air and throwing them on the ground, they were affirming their desire to have Jesus take over the throne. Friends, this wasn't spiritual by any stretch of the imagination, this was political. This was national. This had everything to do with world leadership. So let's continue. They were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Free us, help us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These, these people are quoting uh, Psalm, Psalm 118 as they're shouting this. It's a reference to a messianic psalm. Uh, and a messianic psalm is just words that were referring to the coming Messiah. And again, not as a spiritual deliverer in Messiah, but a delivering, ruling Messiah. So what's going on there? What's happening? If you were there, if you and I were observing this or even taking part in this, the people are not only declaring that Jesus is king, but they are openly asserting that Caesar is not. It's a little close to home. You've heard the phrase, not my president not my law, not my fill in the blank. These people, we tend to, in 2018, view of Palm Sunday as this incredible worship experience. This is, do not miss this, a political rally that becomes an act of defiance, not just an act of worship for the few. So let's continue in verses 14 and 15, Jesus found a young donkey and then sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. This is an amazing point in the story because Jesus positions himself to fulfill Old Testament prophecy from thousands of years prior. Zechariah 9, describes this idea of a donkey and that the king the messiah would be riding into town and this is done not in secrecy Not in quietness, not behind closed doors, not cloak and dagger. This is done publicly, loudly, assertively, without apologeticness. This is made to make a statement, a very loud and clear statement. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. Let's go now with verses 16 through 19. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. That should give you and I a little bit of peace when we don't get it. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. They went out because of the miracle. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. Here is John's account. And what I want to do is help you understand and see that in everything that we see in Jesus' ministry leading up to this moment, three plus years of doing ministry on earth, in a moment, in a snap of a fingers, everything changes. Everything changes after this exact moment. Why? Because up to this point, Jesus likes to play behind the scenes. He does not want the notoriety. He does not want to be labeled. He does not want to be worshipped. He does not want to be known. He wants the work of God to just be the thread that runs throughout his ministry. But here, here he goes public. Here, Jesus very, very intentionally crosses a line. And there's no going back after this moment. It's treasonous and it's deadly. And Jesus knows it. There's two primary things that Jesus is making very clear to both the people experiencing this in real time and to you and I who are are wrestling with how to follow this Jesus in the everyday life. Points of our lives, two things that Jesus makes clear. Number one, Jesus declares to the people, I am the king. Not not just a political king, the the type of king that they're looking for, but the one true king, the promised king, the, the cosmic Messiah. In these moments, in these minutes and hours, Jesus is claiming to be God. Maybe you've had a discussion with a, with a friend or, or a neighbor or a co or a family member and, and that person says, look, the, the whole idea of Jesus, this man figure who claims to be God, that's something that's, that was generated by the church. That is something that man made up. That's something that was handed down generation after generation. Jesus never even claimed those things. And what I want you to do is point to this particular passage the wording that is used here is that of royalty. But the crowd we read, much like you and I, doesn't get it. And you might ask, well, how do we see that Jesus is claiming to be God in this passage? Well, there's a few things. First, Jesus doesn't correct the crowd. He doesn't come before them As they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, declaring him as king. He doesn't stop and go, hey, look, time out. Everybody in this crowd, y'all need to settle down. You're getting a little too excited here. You're getting a little too amped up. Everything that you're saying isn't all true. You need to come back to the reality of, I'm no different than you. I'm just a nice guy. I'm a good friend. I'm someone maybe you'd like to bring home to your parents, but I am not what you're saying. I didn't perform miracles. There's nothing holy in me. There's nothing special about me. You need to settle down. I'm just a prophet. I'm just a good teacher. I'm just like you. Never once do we see in both religious and secular writings, Jesus correcting the crowds. And yes, Jesus knows that the crowd is superficial in their proclamations, but he still accepts it. You say, well, how are they uh, superficial in their proclamations? They're superficial in this. They're most, the absolute majority of the people are waving the palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're excited in the frenzy. But these are the exact people that in a matter of hours are going to be yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. Whom would you like? Jesus who calls himself King of the Jews, or Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. You see, in the church, we tend to think of Palm Sunday as this beautiful day where there's palm branches and this excitement and there's happiness and joy. And friends, what I want to suggest to you is it's nearly, not completely, it's nearly the direct opposite. You see, we want to tend to grab Palm Sunday and directly associate it to Easter. Same type of celebration, same type of excitement, et cetera. It has more to do, Palm Sunday does, has more to do with Good Friday than it does Easter Sunday. Jesus knows these are superficial proclamations, but he still accepts them. Second, he continues to set himself up to fulfill Old Testament prophecy and this means one of two things. Jesus is either blasphemous or he is and still is the written about, hoped for, waited upon, longed for Messiah. And third, look with me at verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, those people, the people that were with him in that moment continued to spread over. The word throughout the crowd. Once Jesus is in town, he, once he enters into Jerusalem, he doesn't hold a press conference. He doesn't say, hey, look, get everybody in the region, everyone who's in charge of news, meet me at three o'clock at the, at the gate of Jerusalem. I'm going to hold a press conference to set things straight. He doesn't show up and go, look, I know there's a crazy rumor There are stories going around. All of these crazy things that I used God's power to raise a dead man. Can you believe that? A dead man? I want to set the record straight. That did not happen. We don't see that. He doesn't debunk the rumor of raising a dead man. He lets it go. In fact, he lets it go like a wildfire. Raging, taking thousands of acres. He just lets it go. He lets the power of the miracle by means and the power of the Holy Spirit go because it it signifies his deity and he accepts it. And then drop down with me. This isn't on the screen. Drop down with me at verse 23. That same chapter says that Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Still we are in this moment we are still on Palm Sunday and Jesus predicts his death that is coming 5 days later. He announces it. And then he goes on to explain why he has to die. And then he does an audacious act. He invites people to follow him and die to themselves. How does a man who predicts he is about to be killed turn to those who he loves and invites them, come with me and die to yourself? And then if you look at verse 27, in a moment of unbelievable sincerity and realness and transparency, Jesus says this quote: "Now my heart is troubled, and what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour." Jesus says, "My my soul is troubled." My soul is tormented. It's illustrating the agony of the cross that's ahead and the depths of his love. But he says, what am I supposed to do? Say, Father, take this from me so that this doesn't happen? What, what am I supposed to do here? Long before Good Friday, we're seeing the agony, the torment, the struggle of the heart in our Lord Jesus what am I supposed to say? Save me from this hour? No, this is why I even came. And then Jesus prays. Verse 28. Father, glorify your name. I'm dying here, God. but glorify your name. Somehow, in some way, glorify your name. Have you been there? Have you been there where your heart is so troubled, it's so broken, and still God is calling you to praise him? A heart that's so broken, so tender, weeping with tears, and yet God is saying, still praise me still look to me. And then, so cool. Supernaturally, God speaks audibly. How many of you have ever wanted that? Like you're on a hike and you're walking through the mountains and you're like, it would be so cool if God like says something to me audibly. Some of us might think we're crazy, so we'd have to hear it twice but it would be amazing. And this is what happens. Verse 28 and 29. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Verse 29. The crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. We get some pretty good thunder here in Colorado. The only way they can describe the voice that they hear after him saying, Father, glorify your name, is it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. It thundered. The voice of God. Spoken to his son. That's struggling. And I want to say to you, friends, when you're struggling, the voice of God is near. It may not sound like thunder. It might sound like a whisper. But the voice of God is near. And this is change. Because what Jesus is tapping into is human hope. The hope that you and I and everyone that has preceded us and everyone that will come after us is human hope. Hope, not a Jewish hope, not limited to a family or a people group, but a human hope. He's tapping into the deep-seated longing for a good king. Put that word good in quotes, for a good king, someone that would come and rescue, someone that would save, someone who won't give up, someone that will fight for them, someone who will provide and love them, someone who will come and take the rightful seat in the throne. And you see, humanity, you and I, everybody in Boulder, everybody in Erie, the list goes on. Humanity is created with a longing to submit to a greater, higher power. To come underneath that authority and to submit, to receive healing and to submit oneself to that higher power. We are all created for this. We are created to want a hero. Throughout history, we see this from dictators to King Arthur, to movie stars, to celebrities, to athletes, and yes, even to Marvel Comics superheroes. We love the hero. We love the one who's going to ride in and save it all. We love the one who's going to save the world from the evil villain. But one of the things that we do is we often make ourselves that hero. We make ourselves that king. By our jobs, our salaries, our possessions, our statuses, the things we accomplish, the things we do with our lives, we make our self king. And on this Easter journey that we're on, we started last week and we will continue to Easter morning. On this Easter journey, we declare and we remember that Jesus and Jesus alone is the king. That's the first declaration that Jesus makes on Palm Sunday. The second declaration that Jesus makes is this. He says, I am the merciful king who brings peace, who brings about peace. This is unbelievably beautiful. When Jesus is entering into Jerusalem as king, he's not entering to execute justice. He's coming to absorb justice. He's not entering to dish out punishment. He rides in in submission to endure punishment. He isn't entering to bring about judgment. He's entering to bear judgment on the cross that will break the back of sin and evil forever. And so how do we know that? How do we know that that is exactly what's happening here in our passage? How do we know that Jesus is declaring, I am the merciful king who brings about peace? Well, what's interesting is that's the whole point of the donkey. Any of you animal lovers? Dogs, cats, ferrets? What? You like ferrets? You would. Um, (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Do this at the next time you have people over at your house. Go, hey, what's your favorite animal? No one will say donkey. I'll buy you a cup of coffee if someone says donkey. You can't prep them. You can't lead them. You just have to throw it out there. Hey, what's your favorite animal? If they say donkey, free cup of coffee on me. No one says donkey. People will say bunny rabbits, ferrets, I guess, if you're Sam cats and dogs and and giraffes, like fun, fun things, you know? Maybe a llama here and there, but not a donkey. You don't get a donkey. But the symbolism of the donkey is behind the entire prophecy. And the crowd, again, like you and I do, misses it. Friends, you want to... You want to feel okay that Jesus regularly needs to tell you the same thing over and over and over because you miss it? Just read the Gospels. Regularly, the crowd is missing it. Regularly, the disciples are missing it. Religious leaders are missing it. People who knew the scripture writings backwards and forwards, they're missing it. Friends, you and I miss it. And that's okay. The donkey is ancient nearest Near Eastern symbol for peace. Everyone, if they weren't caught up in the frenzy, if they weren't caught up into what's actually happening right before their eyes and all the hysteria that was happening, they would have caught, he's riding in on a donkey. And they would have taken their Near Eastern teachings and associated it and went, ah, peace, but they miss it. The donkey, it's it's what kings rode in on into a given town to communicate peace and justice. It's It's what kings would ride into a given town that was otherwise chaotic and hectic with no rule and all but evil and everything but peace. But you saw a king riding in on a donkey and you went, there's a new sheriff in town. See, Hollywood movies wouldn't work that way. We, you know, we, you know, Clint Eastwood rides in on a horse eight feet tall. And he's buff and he's got a badge and he says there's a new sheriff in town. No movies would sell if he rode in on a little three-foot donkey. But that's exactly what's happening. Jesus is riding in on a donkey as a declaration, yes, for his kingship, but also... That he comes to bring ultimate peace and justice, not to a town, not to a land that is in desperate need. He comes in to bring peace and justice to a world that's been waiting for it. He's on a mission. And that's the point of the Old Testament prophecy. It's why in Luke's account of this event, That it says that Jesus rode in weeping. That's why it says that Jesus rode into town as everybody's having a great hoopla and he's crying. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 44, you can read that on your own time but we see that Jesus is riding in on a donkey and he's wiping his eyes because he's crying. And there's tens of hundreds of thousands of people. And in this moment, we see possibly the greatest expression of love ever found right here in this passage. He's the king. He's the good king. And through tears, his proclamation back to the people and to you and I today is I will never leave you. I will cause you to prosper. Like other kings, I will never abuse you, I will never kick you out. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Still through tears. Because I am going into Jerusalem as an act of ultimate mercy to die for you. And because of that death, true peace with the Father will once again be established for everyone. For the people who are throwing palm branches down and have no idea what they're doing, yes. For the ones in the same breath that say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and at the next breath says, give us Barabbas. What do we do with Jesus? Crucify him. Does he come to establish peace for them? Yes, for everyone. And so we trust and we obey and we worship God because he's the king. We trust and we obey and we worship him because he is the only true source of justice and peace that won't go away. You see, there were many, most in that crowd who had no idea. It was a political revolution. It was a march. We saw that yesterday all throughout our country. Had nothing to do with worship. That was a political march, a political cultural statement being made. To the leaders that be, this, Palm Sunday, was a political, nationalistic, cultural statement. We want Jesus. And did the bulk know even what they were talking about? No. But there was a one or two or three. There was a mom, a widow, a young kid somewhere in the midst of it all that had been longing for, searching for peace. And justice. And Jesus rides in on a donkey amidst all the hysteria, and those few look and go, It's here. He's finally here. And I don't know what you have in your life if you've been looking for that peace if you've been looking for that justice. But Palm Sunday's announcement is it's here for you and for me, for our loved ones, for people that want nothing to do with him. It's here. And in Jesus, we find hope and forgiveness and mercy and new beginnings. In him, we find life. Life certainly for the eternity, life certainly for that which is to come, but life here and now for the merciful King who brings it all. All of this rolled up in at least what my Bible is, about three inches worth of story. That He's the King and He's, he's a King who's come to bring you peace. All of this rolled up. All of this symbolism, all of this prophecy, the donkey, the palm branches, the cheers, and yes, even tears. Jesus brings hope. You see, this this Palm Sunday, this peace, this love of Jesus, he loves you so much that he's going to be crucified this Friday for you and for me. Sometimes we can make it over personal, like, oh my gosh, he was sitting up there just shouting my name. Some, sometimes we can make it too general, like he didn't even think of you. I think there's a dance somewhere in the midst of it. But he loves you so much, he's going to that cross. He's going to endure Good Friday that we will meditate on this Friday. He's going there for you. And a large part, to bring you a peace, to bring you salvation. And, and if you're like me, sometimes sometimes the thought has crossed my mind. sometimes the thought crosses your mind. I just don't sense the peace. I get the hope. I get the salvation, but man, my life is a wreck. everything's happening. I just want the peace. And theologians will often refer to this understanding of peace as a waterfall. How many of you have ever been to a waterfall? Hawaii, the Caribbean, somewhere. You go to a waterfall, you know what's unbelievable about it? It just keeps going. Like it's not done. You can like turn around and turn back and it's still flowing. You can go as a kid and come back as an adult and it's still flowing. It's on and on and on and on. And theologians will say the idea of embracing and understanding peace is standing underneath the waterfall of God's love and just letting it go on and on and on. Does it take it all away? Does it take the pain away? Does it take the tension away? No, it doesn't take it all away. But there's something very beautiful about a physical waterfall, especially from the back, but there's something very beautiful about the waterfall of Christ's love and his redemption and his peace just washing over and over and over. My hope and prayer is throughout this week as you get ready to celebrate and meditate on Good Friday and Easter that you allow the waterfall of the truth of God to just come over and over and over nonstop. That's our hope and prayer. Let's pray together. So God, we, we do that uh, in our own way. Uh, we just pause for a moment and and are unbelievably grateful that um, your love just goes on and on and on. It just was like a waterfall. I thank you, Jesus, that even though Palm Sunday has so much to do with your agony and your tears and a tormented heart, that you still looked at the people, and in doing so looked at us and and you still rode in, knowing what waited for you, knowing the heartache that was waiting, knowing the physical pain that was waiting, knowing the separation and the loneliness that was waiting, but you still rode in on a donkey shouting from the mountaintops, justice and peace has arrived. And I pray that we would embrace that, that we would understand that, and that we would apply that then to our lives. I want to thank you for this time that you've given us, Holy Week. A time of preparation, a time of meditation, a time of preparing our hearts. And I pray that you would draw us to the word of God, draw us into the stories so that we could be made right, so that we could have our hearts right. So thank you. Thank you that in the midst of Palm Sunday, there's joy and sadness. There's celebration and there's political celeb- uh, statements. Thank you that in the midst of it all, God, you were there orchestrating it all, speaking truth into it all, all surrounded and spoken to by love. So thank you for that. We'll give you our time of worship. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?